standing there, I like to do this sometimes before I preach, is uh, just to close my eyes and to open up my ears and listen to the congregation as you worship uh, through song. And it's just beautiful to hear Fellowship Bible this morning, join, join in one accord to worship Jesus Christ through song and to sing of his amazing grace. I'd encourage you to not do that all the time, but take a moment and do that at some point. Uh, and listen as others worship through song. It's just so powerful. Well, my name is George Olmstead. I serve as one of the pastors here at Fellowship Bible, and uh, I get the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. And so with that, by a show of hands, how many of you are married or have been married? Just just raise your hand. A lot of us, all right, good. Put your hands down, good. Uh, uh, for those of you who raised your hand, I, I want to ask how many of you remember... This process, and maybe they still do it today, maybe they don't, but it, 19 years ago when Sarah and I got married, it was, or close to 19 years ago, it was, uh, this is what we did. How many of you remember the process of the, the, the wedding registry? The wedding registry, anybody remember that? And maybe they still do it today, I'm sure they do, but they probably do it a lot different than I did 19 years ago. I, I remember this, uh, Sarah and I went and we registered, uh, we registered at Target, you, know, you have to register at Target no matter who you are. Uh, then, right, I'm sorry, gentlemen, but that's just the thing. You have to do it. Uh, then we registered at Dillard's, and then we registered at, like, Pier 1 Imports. I don't even think they're around anymore, all right? So, uh, but I remember this. Sarah, she gave me one job. She said, listen, we're going to do this together, but you get one job, and you have one job, and just let's make sure we understand that going in. It's like, all right, marriage starting off great. Uh, she handed me the scanner, the registry scanner, and it was a gun back then. And she said, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to show you the things that we need. And uh, you're just going to, you're going to point that gun. You're going to scan it. And you're going to put how many we need of each one. Some things we need one, two of. Sometimes we need eight of. Sometimes we need ten of, whatever. And so, man, that was my job. You know what? We had a wonderful day going about doing that in three different places. And uh, I think we even went back one more time to make sure we just got everything on there. But after you do that, you kind of go on. The, the more important wedding plans seem to take over, and, and you get there, and you, you wind up to the day of your ceremony, and it's a beautiful day. And for us, we were able to uh, go straight from the ceremony to our, to our honeymoon and, uh, and had a great time on our honeymoon. And then we came back, and her, her uh, grandparents had been very gracious just to store all the gifts that we received, uh, not just on our wedding day, but even up to that process. We didn't open up any until after our wedding. And so there was just this room full of gifts. We were very blessed by our friends, very uh, blessed by our family. And so we began to open up these, uh, these gifts and man, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then, then every so often Sarah would go, I don't remember registering for that. I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And we'd get to another gift and I know we didn't register for that. And I was like, Sarah, listen, you gave me one job. And I needed to make sure that in that one job, there were tools and video games. And we did that. And it was good. Boom, boom, boom. I was shooting like crazy. The men who came to my wedding took care of me. Thank you to those men. I got the tools, the video games. Sarah's like, you don't need those. And I'm like, I'm glad you said that. I don't want to ever do anything with tools. That's good. So uh, at the end of the day, we opened. We had fun. But, but even on those items, I knew we had registered for those. She didn't. It was a surprise, but good for her. And then, but then we, we opened up some more gifts that necessarily we, we really didn't register for. As a matter of fact, they were a little higher end and, and, and some gifts that we just didn't have any use for. And honestly, we didn't even know what some of the gifts were for. We're like, what is this? So 
What happens to those gifts? They kind of just get put in the garage or put in a closet, and they just get left there, unused, forgotten about, uh, until 10 years down the road, you're cleaning out stuff, and you're like, oh, man, we could have regifted that. That would have been good, right? Well, at the end of the day, we had left a lot of gifts just unused and hidden away for a long time. That brings us to where we'll be this morning uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we'll be. We're going to continue our sermon series entitled True Church. Now, last week we looked at verses 1 through 6, and and Paul wrote about the importance of the unity among believers and throughout the church. Pastor Grant spoke to that last week. Now, here in verses 7 through 10, Paul is going to take a moment to do this. He's going to emphasize the importance of the gifts granted to believers and how they work to bring unity to the church as a whole. If you... uh, Paid attention to the social media post this week for fellowship or there in your bulletin. There's a spot where we kind of highlight what we're going to talk about. It says this, and have you ever thought whose spiritual gifts were intended for? Or who has the authority to grant them? Or even furthermore, what are their purpose? Maybe you're like me and over time or maybe at this point right now you have entertained this question. How do I know if I have? A spiritual gift? How am I even able to identify it? Well, answering these questions is going to be our purpose this morning. So follow along with me as we read Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 10. And it should be on the screen or there in your Bible. It says this, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, He led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to the people. We pick up now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. You know, Paul is very intentional concerning unity in the church. We would agree that unity is vital to the church. And he wants the church to understand that, that, the church at Ephesus to understand that the church consists of individual believers who have been given different unique spiritual gifts by Jesus to, to be used, to be used for this purpose, to glorify him, to serve him, to, uh, uh, glorify him, to serve him, to build his church and to obtain unity in the faith. So here's what we're going to do this morning. As we walk through these four verses, we're going to answer four questions. Here they are. What are they? Where do they come from? How do we identify them? And how do we exercise them? So in reading verse 7, we are led to ask ourselves, what are spiritual gifts? As a matter of fact, in, in asking that question, it's, it's our responsibility to discover that definition of what is a spiritual gift. So let us begin to define Spiritual gifts. It says in verse 7, but to each one of us. Now here, Paul is letting us know that every believer, to each one of us, every believer has received a spiritual gift. He is clear here that when he writes of us, that he's writing to believers, but he's also including himself. 
Each one of us, that phrase, it's, it's personal. This is how God works. He desires that personal relationship with his very good creation. He is relational, and we know this, that that is who he, whom he is, and that he desires that relationship with each one of us. As a matter of fact, he's so relational that, that it tells us that he made us, he created us, he formed us in the womb. He knows each one of us inside and out. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, each one of us receives one. He personally gives it to you, he gives it to me, he gives one gift to use to worship him, to serve him, to serve the church, as well as minister to the community in which we live. But the verse continues, but to each one of us, grace was given. We sang a lot of songs this morning about grace. And it's important that we understand grace is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of God's grace to sinful mankind. Grace is a beautiful, undeserving gift from God. And Paul emphasizes this, and he says God is the one who gives it. It's within his nature. Listen, God can't help but to offer grace. He loves us that much. I don't know if you were raised in the church or you were, uh, as you were raised in the church, as you were younger, if you were around church that sang hymns, but one of my favorite hymns that talks about the gospel reads this, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Man, spiritual gifts are given to those who have believed. You've repented of your sin. You've asked God to forgive your sin. You've placed your faith and trust in Jesus and through his victorious work on the cross and in the grave. But to each of us, grace was given. If you have believed, you have been granted God's grace. And in thinking of God's grace, here's what happens. Many times we simply focus on the saving grace, the justifying grace. And we often kind of put God's sanctifying grace or his enabling grace kind of over to the side. God, thank you so much for justifying me, making me right before you. God, thank you for calling me unto salvation. Thank you for saving me. But God's salvation is that process, he saved us, he justifies us, yes, you're saved, but he is sanctifying us and he wants to enable us to carry out the salvation in which we were called to. As a matter of fact, spiritual gifts are for the believer and they're to be used through God's power and gifting so that he might be glorified. And spiritual gifts, listen, just like, <laughs> like those gifts that I kind of put in the closet, kind of put in the garage, spiritual gifts are not to be left alone, hidden while never being used. Quite the contrary, they are graciously given and there is expectation for them to be used. Every believer receives that spiritual gift that that moment that God saves us. And Paul continues to find spiritual gifts when he writes this, but to each of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
So we see this, the enabling grace that believers experience allows us to use, uh, allows us the use of spiritual gifts that, that we have received so that we might glorify God. The spiritual gift is given by Christ. It's unique to each believer. And it's important to understand that it's free. So when salvation takes place, this is so exciting. When salvation takes place, here's what the Lord does. He desires to empower and equip the believer to carry out the calling. And he does it in a measured way. The Lord is sovereign. That's another thing we see here in this passage. He's sovereign. He knows exactly what gifting you and I need to carry out our purpose in the church. And he measures that in a way where he says, listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you exactly the extent of the gift that you need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put capabilities, I'm going to put parameters, I'm going to give you purpose of this unique gift. And I want you to use it. So we need to understand that the spiritual gift God gives the believer is perfect, it's purposeful, and it points to his sovereign will and plan for us. I'm so glad that we, uh, we worship and that we are saved by a God who has a perfect plan and a perfect will for each one of us. You know what? I love his scripture because his scripture helps us learn, helps us be equipped, helps empower us to understand what spiritual gifts are even available We don't even have to guess about that. As a matter of fact, there are four passages throughout Scripture that talk about these spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, you look on the screen, we have them listed. Romans 12, 6, and 8 uh, speaks of uh, the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 speaks of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting of tongues. And then God gives us Ephesians 4, 11, right after. We'll be talking about this next week. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor and teachers. And then 1 Peter 4 speaks of speaking and serving. So in answering the question, what spiritual gifts are, we can define them in this way. Spiritual gifts are a unique gift given to the individual believer upon salvation to empower and equip the believer as they glorify God with unity in serving others and building his church. Folks, our gifts work in unity with the body. The second question we come to as we study uh, is found in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. We ask this question, where do spiritual gifts come from? Now, we've generally answered this question uh, in question one, but, but there's much more to answer due to this, due to the way Paul wrote verses 8 through 10. As a matter of fact, we need to understand not only where gifts come from, but how the giver of gifts received the right to bestow the gifts. So, we look at spiritual gifts designed. At the beginning of verse 8, Paul references Psalm 68, 18 as a comparison passage to answer our question. Here's what happens in Psalm 68, 18. David is celebrating God's conquest of the Jebusite city and the triumph ascent of God up Mount Zion. And he's giving a picture of, of, of God's people uh, sending congratulatory gifts of honor. And so we see a victorious God, a victorious king with the treasures of his conquest and people coming to worship in that. Well, 
in the Old Testament times, this took place, but also in the New Testament times, under the Romans, uh, this is a very uh, important picture that is understood. Victorious kings in that day, or, or the powers that be, they would, they would bring home the treasures of the victory. And they would parade the enemy, prisoners, before the people. But it's super important to understand, not only did they bring the treasures and the spoils of war, and that they brought the prisoners of war, but here's what happened. They had also recaptured their own people, the ones who had been prisoners or had been captives of the enemy. And the king would display the returning people that he had recaptured. And it was a moment of victory. It was a moment of triumph. I've recaptured my people. You know, when we read Psalm 68, 18, um, there's one little difference in it than what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. Paul writes, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to his people. Whereas in 68, 18, it says he received gifts. There's a difference of receiving and giving, correct? And so here's what we follow along. Paul provides this same imagery for the Christ, the victor. When Jesus, when he ascended on high, here's what takes place. Jesus had returned to the glory of heaven with the trophies of his great victory. Jesus, through the crucifixion and resurrection, what had happened? When Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, what took place? This is the most awesome thing in history. He conquered sin, he conquered death, and he conquered the grave, leading to the freedom of his people. Acts 1 tells us this, that of the ascension. Do you remember the, the, the picture that's painted? And, and it's not only a picture, but it's a real event taking place where, where Christ is standing with the disciples and he begins to ascend into heaven. And everybody's looking around like staring and they're told, what are you staring at? Go and do what you've been called to do. Christ is ascending to his rightful place. He's come. He's conquered he's accomplished the vision and the mission and now he is ascending back to the right hand of the father when he ascended on high he led captive the captives now let's review a little bit in ephesians chapter 2 in verse 6 jesus tells us paul tells us that jesus seated believers with him spiritually in the heavens we have a whole sermon on that passage you can go back and reference but but we're saved and we're seated with christ in the heavens now we have to wait until we experience that through death or through when he calls us home but in ephesians 2 verse 12 we're also reminded this that we are we were once enemies of god that's who you and i were before we were saved before we were changed we were the enemies of God. But in Ephesians 2.19, we are reminded, and this is glorious, that, that we have been brought into the family of God through reconciliation with Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been made right in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. He led captive the captives. Those who were once enemies, who have now been changed... Uh, who have now been changed and saved, are now, when one day, will be seated with him. So if we're following the process, 
We're saved. We're looking forward to being in heaven with Christ. In our salvation, we've been promised this place by Jesus himself. Now, again, don't forget, we were enemies of Christ. But, but God said, listen, that doesn't matter in this moment. He offered himself as the sacrifice to men to recapture those who are his. He is parading his people as he has claimed his victory. So, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and then here we are, he gave gifts to people. And again, it's a comparison passage, so it's not exactly the same. There's the receiving of the gift, and Paul writes of the giving of the gifts. This is so exciting, and here's why. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's bestowing gifts upon those who believe. And here's why. So they are prepared and equipped to live out their calling. Folks, that's for you and me this morning. We have been given a gift so that we are equipped and empowered to do what God has called us to do. Now, as we move forward in verse 9, there's, there's can be difficulty interpreting the passage, even understanding it. But here's the thing. The Lord is faithful to allow us to understand a few things. One, there are mysteries in the Scriptures, and there are some things that we will never know this side of heaven. And I want to tell you something. That's okay. We're not God. He is, and that's where faith and trust and obedience and the willingness to follow Him comes from. However, we are encouraged to study the deeper things of God, are we not? And so we do want to challenge ourselves. We don't mark everything up to a mystery. But there are some things that have been uh, argued for over years and centuries. And so we come and we come to this verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Well, the first part is simple. If Jesus ascended, then he must first have done what? Uh, Descended, right? If he's ascended, then... Hey, if you're going up, you've had to come down, right? And so he's descended. Why do we know that? Because the Son of God left heaven, right? So we know that there was a dissension. And that's what we want to talk about here for just a moment. Our question is not only where do spiritual gifts come from, but how was the right granted to the giver of gifts? So verse 9, as we study it, the meaning that we land on here in fellowship is this, that as he also descended to the lower parts of the earth, our belief here is that this is pointing to the incarnation of the Son of God. The Son of God descended from heaven to be born of a virgin, to put on the flesh of man, taking on human nature. And so we see the descending take place. The Son of God left perfection. The Son of God left a place where there is no sin. The Son of God descended to the lower parts of the earth. And he did that for one reason, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. So we understand this as the incarnation took place, that Jesus lived as God-man, fully God and fully man, with the purpose To do what? To become the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of man. And fulfilling this mission by dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, 
into the grave, raising on the third day victorious over sin, death, and that grave, setting the captives free. And then 40 days later, once he has descended and all this has taken place, 40 days after the resurrection, what takes place? Christ ascends back to his rightful place. And I want to answer it this way as well. Jesus descended as far as he needed to, to accomplish the victory for the right to grant gifts. This is the God we serve. This is the God whom loves us first. He was willing to go as far as he needed to go so that we could be reconciled, that we could be changed, and that we could be equipped and empowered with the gifts to do his work here on this earth. Paul continues in verse 10. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, listen, so that he might do what? Fill all things. Christ has a perfect plan, a perfect will for us. God is sovereign over all. He ascended that he might fill all things. As a matter of fact, I know for, I've talked with many of you, you have your favorite commentators or commentaries or, or, or preachers of the past that you follow, and, and I'm no different. And as I was trying to figure out, summing up this, past, this, this uh, phrase, might fill all things, I came across this, and I thought it was too good not to share. Charles Swindell sums it up like this. The last phrase tells us Christ did not ascend simply to leave the world behind him. But instead, he ascended so that he might expand his presence and influence in the world. Did you get that? He left for our betterment. He left so that his influence and power could take place according to how he needed it to take place. Listen to John 16, 7. Here's how we are encouraged by the words of Jesus to understand this. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When we read to fill all things, we have a clear understanding that God is sovereign over all. This includes his church, remember Ephesians, is, it's being written to the church, true church. When Christ gave his life, he gave it for the church. He is the giver of gifts. And I want us to understand and be clear this morning that Jesus is the one who has authority over the church. And he alone is the one who has the right to rule over the church and give gifts to her. As well, it is through the incarnation that Jesus Christ won the right to give gifts. He descended so that he may again ascend to his rightful place. This morning we've exposited the passage. We we've we've gained knowledge and understanding, and that's super important that we do this as we study God's word. But it's also just as vital that before we finish this morning, that we answer two more questions. And here's why, so that we apply this passage to our lives individually and as a church. We've got the knowledge, got the understanding, now it's time for the application, right? And we need to be people of application. And so here's what we have. 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6 is on the screen. And I start here to help us understand how do we identify our spiritual gifts. Excuse me. How are spiritual gifts discerned? 1 Corinthians 12 reads this. Uh, Is it on the screen? There we go. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Listen, we've already established there's a variety of gifts when we looked at uh, the four different passages. But I use this passage this morning with purpose to help us solidify that these spiritual gifts are given by the Lord. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, one God with with three purposes that, that work in and through each other to accomplish His will. Listen, spiritual gifts are given by the Lord, not by man. It's important we understand there there are false teachings out there that teach differently. So, although God will, will use others to help us discern, God is the giver of the gift. Let's keep that in its proper place and perspective. You know, we want God to be the one who reveals this to us. And since we understand each believer is given at least one spiritual gift, remember, each of us, we're given at least one spiritual gift. How are we to define it? Well, we discern it through the following. And here's how we discern it. Through three different ways. And this is the starting point. The first place we start is remi- reminding ourselves that it comes from God. So we're going to start by asking God. We're going to spend time in prayer. So cool. I uh, After this morning's nine o'clock sermon. I went back to my office for a few minutes just to kind of take a deep breath. And uh, my son, Thaddeus, came in and he goes, what's my gift? I said, well, are you saved, son? Are you a believer? Yes. You, you know that, dad. Well, I do, but I, you need to know that. And he goes, well, what's my gift? And I got to say, have you prayed about it? He's 13, right? He's trying to figure out life. So we're going to start with prayer. Son, we're going to pray. You're going to pray. What is my spiritual gift? We need to do the same thing. Praying and asking the Lord to show us our spiritual gift is where we start. The Lord encourages us to come before him, does he not? He encourages us to ask for discernment and for wisdom. And asking to know our spiritual gift is is no different. So we start with prayer. Going to the one who knows the gift and who has given the gift. Then second, we are to seek advice from spiritual people that we trust. Now, George, didn't you say it was from the Lord? Yes, absolutely. And I want us to understand that that gift comes from the Lord. But he also uses others to help us discern what that gift is. So we need to do this. We need to ask people who know us. Ask people who you do life with, who you spend time with. You know, in Titus, we are all encouraged as believers to have someone pouring into us. The old teaching the young. The young taking uh, someone who, who's now the old takes another young. So we, we need to look at this correctly. We should be in a discipling relationship. Someone should be pouring into us. I am so thankful for the men of God who poured into me and are continuously pouring into me. 
Because we've had conversations like this, especially when I was trying to discern, is ministry the call? Is getting married to Sarah the right thing to do? Like you have conversations with people that you trust, right? And that discipling uh, relationship is no different when it comes to the spiritual gift. When we are being mentored or discipled in Christ, we have the opportunity to build that trusting relationship which can help us identify our gift. So here's the deal. If you don't know your gift, ask someone you trust. Now, I will give you this caveat. Be ready to receive the truth. I didn't sing God's grace for you for a reason. My gift is not singing. And that would have been bad for all of us. Trust me, I tried to join the choir in a church. I was on staff as a young, younger guy. and was like, I'll get up there and I'll join. I'll help out. Well, when the, the, the choir director, your wife, and others say, mm, probably not the best gift that you were given. You listen. Definitely don't want to make a fool of myself, so you know what? I'll leave that singing to you and I'll go figure something else out. Right? But hey, sometimes you just got to try it. Figure it out. We'll talk about that in just a second. But we're to seek that advice from others. Be ready to receive the truth because sometimes our gift is not what we think it might be. And then other times that our gift is what we believe God has given us. The third thing we need to do is to pursue our gift. What I mean by this is to simply try areas of interest. If you don't know, you've prayed, you've talked to others, pursue some areas of interest. Many times our gift is identified when we simply are willing to be used and to try different areas of ministry. At 21, I was living in New York City, uh, outside of New York City for about three months. I've shared that story with with many of you. And uh, I started attending a college group for the summer. And before I left to come back to Texas at the end of the summer, the college group sat me down. They just simply said, hey, man, have you ever have you ever thought about or you ever been told that maybe like you have the gift of encouragement? And I, I never thought about it. Didn't know that. Just try to be nice to people, right? It's pretty, pretty something we should do. Well, the cool thing is, is I got back and I said, you know what? They may mention that. So let's see if I can find some opportunities that present themselves where I can, I can maybe be an encouragement. And as time has gone past, that has been solidified by the fact that always, I, I like to encourage people. Many people have said that I'm able to encourage them, even in the hard situations. I don't use me as an example to boast. I use myself as an example because that's what I know. I had to just, somebody pointed it out. It's like, wow, okay. And I've continued and tried to continue to use that gift of encouragement throughout my ministry and throughout my life. You know, if you think you have a certain gift, pursue it. The Lord and his people who truly care will help you discern. So we pray, we ask those who we trust, and then we pursue it. We know that according to Scripture, every believer has one gift. Discernment of one spiritual gift comes through prayer, people, and pursuit. Pursue it. Pursue the gift. Use it. So once you've identified it, the next logical step and where we come to this morning is this. How do we use the spiritual gifts that God has given us? Romans 12, 6, verse A says this. However, since we have gifts that differ. So we all have different gifts in the church. 
according to the grace given to us, there we go again, he says this, each of us is to use them how? Properly. So how do we use these gifts properly? How are our gifts deployed? You know, Jesus did not give us a spiritual gift again so that we can just let it sit there in the garage or in the closet. And what's about to happen right now is uh, our ushers, they're going to come and they're going to hand you out a bookmark-sized illustration. So what I want you to do is I want you to take that, pass it down, and make sure everybody in the row gets one. And if you don't get one, just slip your hand up. Our ushers will be watching. And um, we'll come back to that in just a second. And I know for some that can be distracting, but hold on with me for just a second. But they're going to pass this out for you. And I want us to go back that using our gifts properly... We, we don't need to leave them in the garage or unused like the wedding or the Christmas gift. Instead, here's what happens. We are to be deployed and we are to have these gifts on display for the church and the world to be affected by it. Where are some places that we can use our spiritual gifts? Where are some places that we can use our spiritual gifts? Well, you can use them in your home. You can use them in your church. You can use them in your community. Jesus desires the gifts that he grants to bring him glory and to bring unity to the church. We are to use these gifts in these ways, through worship, through serving, through reaching out, through ministering to others. So I think it would be important for a moment of our sermon, our application, that we walk through ways to use our spiritual gifts here at Fellowship. You know, there's hospitality ministries. Maybe you've been given the gift of hospitality. You could use that in greeting. Simply welcoming people to the church as they come in or even selling them have a great day as they leave. Maybe your gift is uh, uh, a gift of communication. And you could do that through ushering where you're, you're handing out things, you're helping people sit, you're, you're making sure everybody, you're, you're hosting them throughout uh, the service, making sure they, they are where they need to be. Maybe it's at the welcome desk where you're able to, to uh, receive information from folks and, and provide information for them. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's uh, through the cafe. You're able just to, to serve people whether it be food or drink or just a time to sit down and listen to some folks as they uh, enjoy their refreshments. What about this? Maybe, maybe areas that you could use here at fellowship or in teaching or singing, playing an instrument, serving on the sound or the AV team, volunteering with our children. Wait a second, George, that's not a gift. No, it's a gift. It's a gift. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's, a, it's a great gift to have. To go and to work with our children and love them well, teach them the truths of God's word, or just volunteer to be in there as an encourager to let children know they're valued in Christ. Maybe it's our live wire team, our students. Maybe it's using your gift to help with small maintenance issues or discipling or mentoring others. Or using your gift of administration or your gift of giving cheerfully and generously or your gift of partnering and serving on a ministry leadership team. You know what? The list goes on and on here at Fellowship Bible. And, and many of you have made this the church that you live out your life for God through. You've joined or you've become a regular attender or you've been visiting for a while or maybe this is your first time. 
But this is the place, this is the local body that you can use your gifts. And you know what? I would encourage each one of us, not just you, each one of us, to use the gifts God has granted. Believers deploy their spiritual gift by exercising them through the local church in which they serve and in the community in which they live. Did everybody get the illustration? Did anybody not get one? Slip your hand up. Okay, good, we're good. Well, here's what I want to use. I want you to take that home, put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it somewhere you'll see it. And I want it to be a reminder that identifying and using your God-given gift is vital to the local church as well as the church as a whole. So this is a little illustration by an unknown author, but it really helps us understand the importance of using our gift. How many of you uh, remember the the old typewriters? Are there somebody who doesn't, doesn't know what a typewriter is? It wouldn't surprise me. No? Okay. Well, the typewriter, you know... It, so it was a very important machine back in the day, right? It was, it was the new technology at one point. And as you type on a typewriter, man, it's really great when they work well, right? Man, you get the letter out and put, you give it off to somebody else, right? But man, when that typewriter, when, when, when something didn't work well, maybe it's just that one you, and it wouldn't go all the way up and put the letter there, or it would, it would hit, but it wouldn't print. Like, oh my goodness, this is frustrating. I can't send this work out this way. Well, listen to what this author writes. And I'm sure you're holding it in your hand. You're like, this is frustrating. I can't read it. It's a missing letter. Well, here's what it says. Even though my typewriter is an old model, it works quite well except for one of the keys. I have many times wished that it worked perfectly. It is true that there are 41 keys that function well enough, but just one key not working makes the difference. Sometimes it seems to me that our church is something like my typewriter. Not all the key people are working properly. As one of them, you may say to yourself, well, I am only one person. I don't make or break the church. But it does make a big difference because a church, to be effective, needs the active participation of every person. So the next time your efforts are not needed very much, remember my typewriter and say to yourself, I am a key person in the congregation and I am needed very much. This is what happens to the whole church and multiply this by many times. The whole thing just does not make sense. When you look at that piece of paper as you're reading it, it doesn't make sense because it's missing the letter E. E is an important letter, isn't it? Beloved, don't be like a broken key on a typewriter. You must utilize your spiritual gift. The local body of Christ where you worship needs you and cannot be the same without you. Now listen, I know how the Holy Spirit works because I know how he works on my heart and how he's worked on the hearts of believers forever. There are times we receive a sermon, receive a, a, a scripture, and we, we're reading it, and we go, ah, oh, man, that's talking right to me. And maybe there's some excitement, maybe there's some conviction. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But I want to tell you, at Fellowship Bible, we want to be a church where every person 
is utilizing their gift to the fullest. And we want you to know that we value who God sends to us as we are a vibrant body for Christ. And can I encourage you? We have many, many, many folks who are using their gifts and talents, and we are so thankful. But we just don't want the few, and even few of the many, to use. We want to see God's church being the most powerful force that we can be in a community that needs Jesus. So how are we using our gifts? Spiritual gifts are a unique gift given to the individual believer upon salvation to empower and equip the believer as they glorify God with unity in serving others and building his church. The question is this, how will you use yours? Let's pray.